0: Of of those of you who are kids, how many of you want to be a grown-up? You want to, okay, so there's still some hands up. You want to be a grown-up. You want to be in charge someday. You want to be the boss. Yeah, yeah, see? There's some grown-ups still feeling that way. Don't you get tired? Don't you get tired of being told, brush your teeth, go to bed, turn off the TV, turn off the computer, turn off the device, turn off the iPad, turn it off. I said turn it off. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm tired of being told that. See, if you're a kid, you're at the bottom of the food chain. And you don't need me to tell you this. The grown-ups have a word for this food chain in life. It's called the pecking order. It's called the pecking order. The pecking order is a phrase that came into use in America after 1927. There was a study that was published in a scientific magazine about what happens to chickens. And the the word, the phrase, two-word phrase they use to describe what happens among chickens is the pecking order. Here's how it works: take ten chickens, gather them together, put them in a pen that's got fenced in on all four sides, throw in some feed, stand back, and watch what will happen. You know what the chickens will do? With their beak, they will go after each other. And they will start pecking and hurting each other until there is a clear chicken number one. The chicken that you don't want to mess with, the dominant chicken. And chicken number one gets to peck all the other chickens. <laughs> And if you're chicken number two, if you're chicken number three, all the way down to chicken number ten, you have to get away when chicken number one wants to eat. And if chicken number one wants that feed right there, you have to turn your little tail and turn the other way. that's the way it works with chickens. And kids, sorry, in life, you're chicken number ten. In America, that's the way it works. Grown-ups, what about you? Come on, you know how this works. Oh, you, you're working at McDonald's now? Brock! <laughs> oh, oh, your daughter's going to BCTC. Yeah, well, you know, we were talking with Christy, and, you know, she's been accepted at Center and Harvard, and we're just trying to weigh out. Brock? <laughs> Brock. Okay? If this is on the back of your minivan today, I don't fault you, but come on, the stickers, my kid's an honor roll student at... maybe you're trying to get back at all the jock sports that you're like you know at least my kids got all A's (laughs) okay at the Jessamine Chamber of Commerce we had our big awards thing this last Thursday gazillion people in Rick Corman's hangar and I met a ton of new people and the first question I'm asked is oh what's your name the second question that gets asked is what what do you do see the grown-ups know how this works because once you answer the question what do you do the other chicken gets to go Bruh! or Bruh! <laughs> in in deference to what you do and that's the way it works okay teenagers this works in high school in middle school come on the kids with the zit free complexion yes i use proactive i da 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 You know, the kids who've got the really cool Galaxy class phones. You know, it's it's the pecking order. Well, let me ask you a question, kids and grown-ups and teenagers. Are the people who work at the bank, are the people who have clear complexions, are the people who go to Harvard any better than you? Let me ask that again. I'm not sure you understand the question. Are the people who are the president of the local bank who are maybe a state senator, who've gone to schools like Harvard or UC Berkeley. Are these people better than you? No. That is absolutely revolutionary that you think that. Because in the ancient world, that's not how people thought. In the ancient world, there were the better people, and the every ordinary, everyday Joes who were nobodies. And it was a ladder, and it was a pecking order, and the nobodies believed they were nobodies, and the somebodies believed they were somebodies. And I've got some pictures of the Roman class system. In Rome, they believed it. You would have believed it where you were in the the social standing. In Rome, there were the patricians, the upper class, and the plebeians. The lower class, everyone else, about 98% of the population. So let's go to the first slide. At the, at the cream of the crop in the upper class were the senators. I've got a real senator in the next slide. There he is. Slightly older. He's done his bit for Caesar and country. And a Roman, a, a Roman senator would be allowed to have purple, uh, purple piping in his clothing so that everywhere he went, as soon as you saw the purple little streak, you knew. step aside because that Roman senator could do this to you and you'd have to take it because you were nobody the next group were the equestrians the equestrians uh, often had the phrase this phrase associated with them the order of the rings I know some of you Tolkien fans are like really I know yes you want to be an equestrian now one ring to bind them Okay. so where did that come from right (laughs) This is why James in the New Testament says, beware, beware, if somebody comes into your church service and they're wearing a ring or a robe with piping, be careful that you don't treat them differently, that you don't treat them better, okay? That would have been revolutionary, that statement right there. And then there was another group slightly below them, the Decurians. The Decurians were two groups, one were Calvary officers, and at, at any given time in the Roman Empire, there were only 120 of these guys with the big feathered things. 120 of them in charge of 80,000 cavalry troops throughout the Roman Empire. And then there was another group of decurions. These were the people who were the administrators and proconsulates of city states like Athens or Corinth or, 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 or Antioch. They would have been the big wig public officials. Okay? Again, If you were a nobody, if you were just a farmer, if you were just a guy working out a living, if, God forbid, you were a woman or a kid or a slave, you were nobody. And you believed it and you lived it. And you actually believed that the people were higher up, were, in fact, better than you. And that was how the ancient world rolled. But then along came a man named Jesus, who fundamentally changed the social order. Jesus was a rock star rabbi. When he came onto the scene, you know, he would go, kapow. I don't think he used that sound effect, but I do. (laughs) Kapow. And then blind people are like, I can see. And then the lame people are walking around on their legs and they're jumping all around. And it's, it's amazing. It's like wondrous. And people are like, whoa. And big crowds gather when he's teaching. You would have thought a rock star rabbi would have picked the kids who went to Harvard. Who are his disciples? Fishermen, tax collectors, nobodies. Nobodies. People at the bottom of the food chain, the bottom of the pecking order. Jesus, don't you understand how this works? Oh, it even gets better. The last night he has with his friends, he does something absolutely unheard of. It culminates uh, in John chapter 13. And this is the first five verses. This is what John says happened that night. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything, and that it had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Luke tells us that the disciples, his friends, as they entered that room that night, do you know what they were talking about? They were having a conversation about who was going to be the greatest when Jesus was crowned king. They knew he was a king to be. They knew he was king material. They really believed that, and they were anticipating, the day's coming, it's coming soon, and he's going to be king. And so there was this, you know, John, you and Peter always get to hang out with Jesus, but you know, I've been here from the beginning, and my parents were, and I've healed, da-da-da-da-da, da boom but they are pecking at each other. They come in to this room, and all... 12 of them file past a towel in a basin that's there by the door here's how things work you need to understand the context we have asphalt out there it's really awesome you can salt it in the winter you know it's it's great burns your feet in the summertime i mean come on when it's 95 degrees you're like (laughs) you know don't ever walk barefoot on asphalt back in those days in rome they didn't have asphalt go figure they had dirt And dirt was dusty when it was dry, and when it was wet, it was what? Mud. And back then, people didn't wear shoes. They either went barefoot or they had sandals, trompsing around in the mud. And the other cool thing is that they didn't have cars back then. You know what they used? Animals, horses, donkeys, cows, on the road. What does an animal do when it needs to go to the bathroom? Yeah, it doesn't say, excuse me, I have to do a number two. No, it goes where it is. It's called dung. And it was all over the road. And so if you're walking on the road and your bare feet and your sandals and it's muddy and the animals have been around, what do you think is going on with your feet now? Yeah, disgusting. It was so disgusting that there was a job at every home It was the job of the foot washer. Jews felt so strongly that this was such a menial, dirty, awful, disgusting task that many Jewish fathers forbade their wives and children to wash feet. They would hire a non-Jewish girl, not even a man but a girl, to be at the door to do the disgusting job of cleaning people's feet. Thirteen people walked into that room There was no servant girl by the door. Twelve of them walked past and did nothing. One person did the job that needed to be done. And who was that person? Jesus. Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God in the flesh, picked up a towel and washed people's disgusting feet. Did he not know he was up here? Did he not figure that out, who he was? Of course he knew who he was. Even John tells us. He knew where he had come from. He knew the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God. He knew it. And yet he picked up that towel and that basin. And Jesus says this. This is what John says Jesus told them after he did this task. Verse 12 and following. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them absolutely, fundamentally game-changer moment in human history. Because everything in the ancient world was about the ladder and being at the top of the ladder, and the people at the top of the ladder knew it, and they behaved accordingly. That someone who was at the top would treat anyone beneath them as equals was absolutely revolutionary. I have a quote from Caesar, if you'll put it up. This is what Caesar says about himself. This is Caesar Augustus, by the way okay? Three times I triumphed at oration. 21 times I was named emperor. The senate voted yet more triumphs for me, which I declined because of the victories won by me. The senate voted thanks to me for the immortal gods. 55 times in my triumphs, nine kings were led before my chariot in chains, by the way. I have been consul 13 times. I was highest ranking senator for 40 years. I held the office of pontificate maximums all citizens with one accord unceasingly prayed in every holy place for my well-being oh it's good to be king and there it is you couldn't have a greater contrast than jesus and caesar let me ask you kids a question who's the bigger boss caesar or jesus oh you got this figured out After Jesus' death and resurrection, a community was formed called the church. And when they would gather in church meetings, they sat as equals, men and women, slave and free, plebeians, and patricians. patricians. In fact, early on, they practiced foot washing. And it was the custom that if you were a wealthy person, if you were a person of means, if you had color striping or a ring you would be the one to don the and Basin and you would make sure that you washed the feet of slaves in that church meeting. They turned the world upside down. This was new, this was revolutionary, and this was all Jesus. In a word, humility. You don't see humility as something to be aspired to until Jesus comes along. In the ancient world, in all cultures, humility was something that was despised. In fact, uh, Macri University concludes this in a study they did on it. The modern Western fondness for humility almost certainly derives from from the peculiar impact on Europe of the Judeo-Christian worldview. Jesus did that. The idea that people higher up are no better than you, that's a Christian idea. It's rooted in the actions and teachings of of Jesus. So if you're here today and you're a grown-up and you've had some interfacings with church where there's been like politics and power-broking and people have uttered this phrase, well, you know, the people with the purse strings want (laughs) dot, dot, dot. If you've heard that and it's made you grumpy at church, bing, you're dead on the money for being grumpy because you know what? That behavior isn't Christian behavior. That's the way Rome rolls, That's the way the world works. If you're a kid, when grown-ups dismiss you as unimportant, when they communicate to you as a kid, you're not worth listening to. You're just a kid. Chicken number 10. That's not a Christian behavior. That's the way of Rome. It's the way of the world. So let me ask some questions in light of this passage, in light of what Jesus did. My first question is this. How do you... Treat those beneath you in the pecking order. If you're a husband, how do you treat your wife on an ongoing basis? Parents, what's the tone, the general tone that you use with your kids most of the time? Do you put them in their place, or do you convey value in how you talk to them? And then another question, what would it take for you to live the way Jesus lived? What would it take to just embrace a towel and basin when those moments come along? How would you need to see people differently? What would you need to get over on the inside in order to be able to do it? And then lastly, how's your confidence level? I mean, this kind of love, this kind of service requires some pretty big security in your identity with Jesus, in your identity and in your relationship with God. If there's insecurity in there, you're going to shun the towel and basin and run from it. So what scares you? What are you afraid of? I challenge you this afternoon to go online and Google a young man named Jason McCallan. Jason was the autistic water boy and team manager for a basketball team of the Athena High School in Rochester, New York. Jason is, has autism. And you can kind of talk like this. Okay, that's Jason. In ancient Rome... Jason would have been chicken number what? 10, defective, and a defective kid to boot. So boom, bottom of the pecking order. But what happens to Jason is that utterly amazing. He's the team manager and he takes care of the towels, he takes care of water, he manages the team. And then on one particular game, the coach decides to let him suit up just like the team and the coach decides to put him in the game. This is a kid that they weren't expecting could hit the broadside of a barn, and he puts him in anyway with that expectation. What happens next is truly uh, wonderful to behold. He misses the first couple of shots, but then he starts nailing three-pointers. When he's put into the game, before he ever makes the first shot, all of his... Classmates, all of the kids from the school, jumped to their feet and applaud wildly. That would have never happened in the ancient world. That it happened today in America is because there was a man who walked the Earth 2,000 years ago who said, "Let the little kids come to me." There was a man who, when he interfaced with the nobodies, he welcomed them with open arms and he viewed them as equals in God's kingdom. He set a revolution in place that's called the kingdom of God that's working its way out even today. And I hope you will be part of what God is doing in world history and even now in America.